to see everybody again this morning. It's always interesting when you get up here, there's usually one side or the other that is full of people. Um, but this time you got a nice balance this morning and same thing upstairs, so that's good. Anyway, good to see everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us online. So for the past two weeks, Paul has been teaching that we can't behave like unbelievers anymore. With feudal minds, that's the word he uses, feudal minds, where our inner being is empty, perverse, devoid of truth, and depraved to the core, where we're darkened in our understanding, alienated from God because of ignorance. Think about that word, ignorance, and because of hard, callous hearts that have become numb to sin, giving ourselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And those are Paul's words. Those are very detailed words that describe our condition. And that was the old way, the way of that wide, dark path, the one that we were all on, at least at one point in our lives. But Paul is now saying, you've died to that old way. And it's a good thing, because it leads to eternal destruction. And so today, Paul's going to teach us how it is that we've been rescued from that wide, dark path, how it is that we've been born again. So that's the main focus or the main takeaway for today. And this is an important teaching because so many people still question which path they're really on, especially those who have professed the faith in Jesus, but they just kind of did that so they'd be good whenever they die. It's not so much that they want to go to heaven because they're really not that interested in God. Rather, if you think about it, it's more that they just don't want to go to hell. That's a pretty big contrast. And so they profess a faith, but they still live as though they're on that wide, dark path. They still live with a foot in both worlds. And as Paul's going to show us today, that is not an option for us. We simply can't be born again and still live like the old self. It's just not possible. Because when we place our faith in Jesus, the most amazing thing happens. We start life all over again. It's a new life in Christ. And therefore, we leave the old life behind. We move from that wide, dark path up there to that straight path, the well-lighted one, the narrow one that leads up to that gate that enters and opens up into the kingdom of God. So we get a fresh start, regardless of our age, regardless of our status, our education level, or the depths of the darkness that we traveled in the past. None of that stuff matters because as Jesus promised, whoever places their faith in him is forgiven. They will not perish and they will receive the Holy Spirit who dwells within them, making them more like Jesus each day. So we simply can't behave as though we're still on that wide, dark path. We're different now. There's a firewall of sorts between those two paths, so we can't keep a foot in both worlds any longer. We have a new identity in Christ, and so we must behave differently as we grow up in maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what being born again is all about. So let's read our text one more time. And again, the first part is what we studied the last two weeks. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, and then picking up our text for today, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So by now, hopefully we've all learned that Paul loves these abrupt and shocking conjunctions, because there's that word, but, yet again. And it has the same powerful punch that all the previous buts that we studied that Paul used in this letter that he writes. In fact, if we've been born again, then we've grasped the depth of the depravity in our old life, on that old path. And so this but should evoke significant emotion for us. It should cause us to gasp in relief and humbly cry out in thanksgiving. Seriously, when we look back at those words that precede the but, it ought to rattle us pretty good, especially when we look around us, because that's the way that most people behave in this world, with futile minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated, ignorant, hard hearts, callous, given over to sensuality, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we were once just like them, living in darkness as unbelievers. But that is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, but that's not you. You're not like that anymore. What a relief. It's humbling, especially when we consider that we've been rescued by God's grace, by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Not a single thing any of us did to deserve it. So it ought to cause us to respond with a spirit of overwhelming gratitude, never desiring to go back to that old way of life, fleeing anything that might tempt us to return. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones argues that how we respond, how we react to this but, provides a very helpful test of our faith. And while we can never know for sure if another person has been born again, we can absolutely know for sure if we have. In fact, Scripture calls us to make sure that we know. And Lloyd-Jones contends that experiencing a genuine sense of relief, a sense of humility, a sense of thanksgiving at this but provides yet another form of confirmation that we have indeed been born again. And that's because the but provides such a stark contrast to the life on that wide, dark path. That's why we keep saying these words over and over again that Paul uses to describe this dark path. As we consider the picture that he paints, what it looks like, how it's not appealing in any sense. Like last week, we likened it to the steaming pot of turd soup. And some people thought, hey, that's a little crass. But actually, if you look at the original language, that's exactly the kind of language that Paul uses here. It's a hot, nasty mess, that life we lived in. We must keep our spoons out of it. We got to stay upwind of that foul stuff because it's a path that ultimately ends up in eternal destruction, life and eternity apart from God. And so when he writes, 
but that is not you. You're not one of them. You've been born again. What a relief. It's like, whoa, it's humbling. Because that is not the way you learned about Jesus, the Christ. So this is specific to you. It's personal. Because if you've learned about Jesus, believed the gospel message, and placed your faith in him, then you've been born again. And you know him personally. And so you've experienced that sense of relief, the relief of no longer spending time being trapped on that wide, dark path. And that's why you simply can't believe in him, be in an active relationship with Jesus, and still behave the old way. It's just not possible. If you still behave the old way, the only possible conclusion that you can draw is that you never actually believed in the true Christ in the first place because you're not in a relationship with him. And that is the test that Lloyd-Jones is referring to here. So when you see that but, do you experience that sense of relief? Which path are you on? So if we're still living a futile, empty, perverse, devoid of truth, depraved, darkened, alienated, ignorant, callous, sensual, impure, and eager to engage in sin life, then perhaps we've been fooling ourselves all along. Perhaps we were never born again. Perhaps we just like the idea of heaven, but we're really not that interested in it. We're more focused on ourselves. Of course, that's not a judgment for me or anyone else to make because that is between God and each person. And that also doesn't mean that if we've been born again, that we'll lead a sinless life. So be very careful here. We will all continue to fall short. We'll give in to temptations from time to time. The devil is very good at what he does. Rather, what it means is that when we sin, we'll be quick to repent in humility, to turn from our sin, to put hedges in place so we don't go back to it, and to flee from future temptations that cause us to sin. We won't be content to live in our sin anymore because we've been born again. We're no longer a citizen of the darkness. Our citizenship is in the light. We simply can't go back to that old way. It's unthinkable. It's unsettling. It's repulsive. That's why when people suggest that as Christians, we should behave like the unwashed masses. We should hang out in strip clubs, casinos, go get smashed at parties, so we better fit in with unbelievers, in the name of bringing them to Jesus, of course. But that's just not possible. It can't be done. Now, if we want unbelievers to hear about and see Jesus, then we must reflect his light to them. We must stand out as being different from the darkness. Now, that doesn't mean we're to dress ourselves up as these high and mighty Christians, those perfect people. Nothing more nauseating than that, because we're all sinners. That's the truth. And that's why we say each week that it is okay to not be okay. It's important that we grasp that, but it's also important that we don't sit in judgment on others. Rather, we teach them the truth in love, with humility and grace, and we pray for them, like we learned last week, because we were once one of them, praying that they might too experience 
that sense of relief one day. And then Paul goes on to explain what he means by this abrupt statement. Check this out. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And then there's a dash, which essentially means, let me explain. First, assuming that you've heard about him. And then second, assuming that you were taught in him. And then concluding with an assertion, as the truth is in Jesus. So let's unpack this. Keeping in mind that the entire focus of this particular part of the text is the way you learned Christ. And that's important because learning is the treatment that is needed to address a futile mind. Remember, a futile mind is empty, perverse, devoid of truth, and depraved. So it lacks learning. That's why the person is in darkness. The totality of their inner being has been darkened. They can't see the light. They're blind to it. There's been no learning. That's why they live a worldly life. That's why they give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, persuading themselves that their life is actually all very wonderful, even though they've never even had a hint of satisfaction in their life. It's because they haven't learned Christ. And then one day, they learn Christ, and the light goes on. They see the errors of their ways, realizing life is actually pretty fleeting. They're convicted that they've probably been wrong all along, that their pursuit of materialism and status is pointless, and all those accomplishments they were after, pretty much meaningless. All that matters is our relationship with Jesus. All that matters is learning Christ. How? Well, first, assuming that you've heard about him. Paul has taught repeatedly throughout this letter that it all starts by hearing. We must first hear so that we can then know. And then once we know, we're able to form a belief. The process is clear. Hearing, knowing, believing, and then of course behaving in step with our beliefs. That's what this entire section of this chapter 4 that Paul writes is what it's all about. It's why pastors are charged with preaching the truth so that people might hear it and know about it. That's actually the responsibility for all saints who've been equipped for the work of ministry to know and then live out the truth of Jesus in their everyday ordinary lives so that others hear it. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is convicting, counseling, comforting, transforming knowledge into belief. Let's make sure that we're really clear on this point. When we live out the gospel truth, we're essentially teaching that Jesus forgives the sins of people who place their faith in him. That is a truth. It is part of Christian doctrine. It's something we want everyone to hear and to know. Because that first step in becoming a Christian is knowing this truth about Jesus, that he forgives sins. But knowing isn't enough. Even the demons know this about Jesus, and they shudder. No, once we know, we must respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction, moving us from knowledge to belief. How? Well, Paul already showed us. By grace, through faith. A gift from God through the mechanism of faith. Faith is what moves us from knowledge to belief and from belief to behavior. And as we've seen, belief and behavior they're inextricably linked. You can't do one without the other. 
But then Paul adds the second assumption, and that you were also taught in him. So it's not enough to hear, to know, to believe, and behave, because there's an and here. There's a second assumption, that you were taught in him. What a fascinating way for Paul to describe how we are taught. We are taught in him. So this isn't being taught about something where we're outside of the event itself. No, we're actually in him. Our identity is in Christ. He is in us. So this is an experiential teaching. For example, we can all be taught about how it is that we're to raise our kids. We can read it in books, we can listen to other people who have raised children before, and we can learn that way. But there's a different kind of teaching that occurs when you're actually in it. When you actually experience what it's like to go for days on end operating with only three hours of sleep. You know that feeling, don't you, for those of you who've been parents. When you experience the depth of that pit in your stomach when you just can't get your child's fever to break. It's a form of instruction where you learn to change a diaper with one hand while you're cutting up chicken nuggets into bite-sized chunks with the other hand, all while you're driving, right? That's what the good moms can do. You can't be taught that stuff from a book. That kind of instruction only happens when you're in it. It's that experiential learning that gives you a special perspective where you just know what it's like because you've been a part of it. And that's what Paul means here by this phrase, taught in him. It provides a sense of certainty because we've actually experienced what we know to be true. But we can actually push on this even a bit further because that word in can also be interpreted as the word by. They are identical in their usage. So Paul is showing that the way we learned Christ is that we were also taught by him. And that speaks to a relationship with him. Interestingly, the word Paul uses for in can also mean with. So it can mean in, by, and with. And this goes back to what we've hit on a few times in the past few weeks. If we're in a relationship with Jesus, this means he knows us and we know him. So we are taught by him through this relationship that we have with him. So this second assumption that Paul adds in here is really important because it also speaks to a relationship that we get to have with Jesus. It means that we've had a taste of who he is, the very son of God. And when we've experienced that taste, we can't help but the desire to experience it more and more. Just can't not be there, using that phrase from last week. And what's the there? It's with him because the truth is in Jesus, as Paul writes. In other words, he is the truth. That's the assertion. It's why we lose interest in the things of this world, because they simply can't compare to Jesus. All we want to do is know him more, more and more, pouring through the pages of Scripture, crawling into each story, each parable, experiencing his love throughout the totality of our inner being, fixing our eyes on him, walking in humility, rejecting the things from our old self, pursuing the truth 
that can only be found in a person. Not in a religion, but in a person. The person of Jesus. And that's why Paul is so abrupt here. He wants to draw the sharp contrast to make a very clear case. We simply cannot profess a belief in Jesus and live as though we're still back on that wide, dark path and somehow conclude that we are saved. That is called antinomianism, a belief that was creeping into the early church. And that's why the New Testament writers, Paul, John, and Peter alike, addressed it in all their letters to the churches. And it's alive and well today. We are either on that wide, dark path or we're on the narrow, well-lighted path. We cannot be on both. And that's because being born again means we've been justified. That's a big churchy word. It also means we're being sanctified and we will be glorified. Those three words, justified, sanctified, glorified, they are all forms of the same verb, which essentially mean salvation. Justified, I have been saved. Sanctified, I am being saved. Glorified, I will be saved. If you have been born again, you are guaranteed all three steps because they're a gift from God. They're part of his grace. Justification is being made right before God by Christ's blood that he shed on the cross for you. Sanctification is the process by which believers are set apart so that God pulls them apart and helps grow them up in Christ. It's a life of responding to the Holy Spirit, his convicting, his counseling, his comforting, as we become more Christ-like. That's hopefully the process we're all moving through. And glorification is the final removal of sin so that we can stand faultless before God's glory in eternity. You see, God is holy. To be in his presence, we must be holy too. That's what being born again is all about. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It is the path to holiness. And that's why we simply can't be born again and still operate like our old self. We have a new identity in Christ. We're in a relationship with him, becoming more holy each day. And so we must behave differently as we grow up to maturity in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for grace, the call to place our faith in Jesus and for making us born again justifying us by washing us in the blood of your Son, sanctifying us by the power of your Holy Spirit as he walks us down that wild-lighted narrow path, always pointing us to Jesus so that we might one day be glorified in your holy presence for all eternity. Amen. Amen.